Welcome to the Wealth Steading Podcast. This is episode 145. It's October 13th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In this episode, this will be part two where I continue my discussion about how I'm concerned that we might be seeing a double top to this market. I want to pick up right where we left off. I'm treating the market correction that we saw occur in the middle of August and then this possible recovery, I'm treating it very cautiously. Just to review some statistics that we've talked about before, this market has pretty much gone straight up for the last six and a half years. There was a little bit of a pullback, about a 20% pullback in 2011, but that's it. Last October, we saw a 9% pullback. It's very unusual that we don't see at least a 20% pullback at least every five years. You can really say somewhere between the extremes being, you know, every three years to maybe the outside once every seven years. A lot of people play with the, the numbers and the statistics. Bottom line, though, I think it's a good idea for you to plan for at least every five years to see a 20% or more pullback. We're not seeing that. In addition to the fact that we're not seeing these corrections, which are healthy for the market, right? A correction is exactly what it means. It means the market got overpriced, and so then it's being corrected. Well, I think that this market was overpriced. I think in many sectors, it continues to be overpriced. The other reason that concerns me is that this is only the third time in history with this extended of a bull market. Now, I've talked about this in a previous episode. If I were better organized, I'd have that link for you, but I don't remember what episode it was. But we talked about there have only been three times in history when a bull market, when a rally has gone on this long. The longest rally we ever had was following the end of the Cold War. It went from about 1988, which was a little bit before the the Cold War was over, all the way up until 2000. That was the longest in history. The second longest was the expansion that we saw following World War II. Now, in the podcast that I talked about these, I made a case why that made sense that we would see those long periods of expansion and a lot of gains in the stock market coming out of World War II and then coming out of the Cold War. Well, right now, we're in the third longest bull market in history, and the only thing that I can see driving this has been an expansion in the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and in other central banks' quantitative easing programs that have occurred throughout the world. There's been no big revolution in technology. There's been no opening up of borders or an increase uh, in, in selling to markets like we saw following both the, this, the uh, Cold War and then uh, after World War II. There's been no great expansion in infrastructure, again, like we saw in those past two uh, large rallies after World War II, half the world or more than half the world was destroyed. It needed to be rebuilt. The United States was the only real superpower at the time, so it benefited from that rebuilding. Following the Cold War, much of the Soviet bloc and Eastern Europe and large parts of Asia and, and even the Middle East, they were those markets were open up. There were a lot of things that needed rebuilt or even were, were introduced in those economies for the first time. That provided a great opening and expansion of markets for American products to be sold in and global products, not only American products, but a, gl- a large global expansion took place. We also had the freeing up of a lot of technologies, things like military communications and military satellites that could only be used for defensive purposes were now opened up to civilians. We got things like the internet. We got things like GPS. We also had Moore's Law kicking in where we had the expansion of memory and of speed and computers. All that culminated into the longest bull market in history. Well, we're not seeing any technology transfers or any open markets like that occur now. 
These markets have simply been driven by quantitative easing and printing of funny money with, from governments and central banks. Now, you may not like Federal Reserve or central bank intervention in the economy, but had you stuck your head in the sand and acted like an ostrich and, and just stubbornly refused to participate in this market rally over the last six years, then you lost a lot of opportunity. So although I'm saying that this stock market rally over the last six years has been a bit of a mirage, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have profited from it and you, you want to continue profiting from it even if we see another round of quantitative easing four. You know, if they go into QE4 or QE forever, you have to put your money in appreciating assets. Those type of Federal Reserve expansions of their balance sheets, they make the stock markets grow. But I digress and I'm getting off on a tangent. So let's get back to why I'm concerned about this double top and the market we're right in. Carrying over from what we talked about yesterday in, in the last episode, I mentioned that I'm very cautious and that I'm looking at the 100-day moving average. I'm going to put a link into the show notes on this episode that'll take you back to that chart that I talked about yesterday because I received some comments from some of you that couldn't find it. But this is a blog post that I did I don't know, last year, several months ago on my website, investablewealth.com, where I talked about how the 100-day moving average can act as an early warning system. So right now, I'm being very cautious and I'm, I'm hesitating buying into this market while the S&P 500 is below its 100-day moving average. Now, remember, I use this as a guideline, so I'm not saying that I would, wouldn't buy into any improving market just because it's below the 100-day moving average. I'm just saying that that's the safest approach to take. And by looking at that chart with the 100-day moving average, I know that the sooner you buy into um, a possible upturn before you get to that 100-day moving average, the riskier it is. Again, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't do it. It just means that I'm taking on more risk. Right now, because of all these things I've just, just stated, the fact that we're in this long six-and-a-half-year bull market that's been fueled by Federal Reserve money and that we haven't had a significant pullback in a very long time, the one that we've had now has released a little bit of pressure and steam, but I, I don't necessarily think it was enough. I would not be surprised if we drop down another you know, 15% or so from where we are right now. Now, I can't predict the future. I don't know that's what's going to happen. My mind may change tomorrow if I get different data. But right now, when I look at the markets, when I look at the global slowdown, when I look at the high valuation on, on certain companies, I remain concerned and very cautious. And that's why I'm not jumping back into this rally. Not yet. So that link to the chart on the 100-day moving average is an early warning system that will be in the show notes. The other thing I want to point out that I didn't mention yesterday was about gold. Now, gold has rallied up nicely in the past couple weeks at the same time that the stock market was going up. And again, I ask you to consider that. Think about it. Look around. Use your situational awareness. You know that whenever gold moves up in value, that's because people are worried about inflation, a devaluation in the dollar, and they're worried about uh, possible troubles in the economy. That's why they put their money in gold. Well, right now, we know we're in a deflationary environment. So for at least a short period of time, we have to roll out the fear of inflation. So what's driving up the price of gold? It can't be just because the Federal Reserve is postponing raising interest rates. Because again, if you look at um, where you chart gold against interest rates, the patterns just don't play out. So why is gold going up in price? I don't think it's because of concern over the devaluation of the dollar. I think it's because of fear and instability in the global economy. 
about a month ago when we saw the first attempted uh, rally out of this correction and it failed, we saw that gold started moving higher. It crossed its 50-day moving average. And then about a week ago, it crossed its 100-day moving average. And it's getting very close to, to crossing its 200-day moving average. These are all very positive signs for gold. But that 200-day moving average is a major area of resistance for gold. Since around 2011, gold has never moved substantially above its 200-day moving average. There was a brief period, I think in maybe the spring of 2014, where it got a little bit above the average and it vacillated back and forth on the 200-day moving average. And then we saw it uh, just slightly this summer, uh, again, break above that 200-day moving average, but it came right back down. I suspect that gold will continue to have resistance at that 200-day moving average. At this point, I'm not investing in gold. But since other investors are, that tells me that there's fear in the economy. Again, that does not bode well for a recovery. Pull up a chart and compare the price of gold with the, the uh, price of the S&P 500. You'll see that in most cases, they don't correlate with each other. And that's not always true, but in the last year, for sure, the personality of gold in this stock market have been to have an inverse correlation. So what I mean by that is when the stock market's going up, gold is going down. When gold is going up, the stock market's going down. Well, for about the last two weeks, as we've come off the double bottom in the S&P 500 and this market is trying to go on to make a recovery, both the price of gold and the S&P 500 are moving up together. That's unusual. That's an anomaly. The way to make money in the stock market or investing in any asset class, whether it's real estate or a small business, you're always looking for the anomaly. And then if you can determine what's different about that situation, you may be able to profit from it. I can't predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball. But when I see both gold and the U.S. stock market moving up at the same time, my mind comes to the conclusion that the only way they can coexist is if the Federal Reserve starts up a quantitative easing program again, if we go into QE4. Now, they've never retired the balance sheet from all the other QEs we have. So they still have somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 billion a month that matures from the old quantitative easing programs. And so what they're doing is they're not retiring that debt. Whenever that debt matures, they reinvest it. They buy more debt in mortgage-backed securities. They buy more U.S. Treasury debt. And $20 billion is a significant amount of money. And so I don't see the Federal Reserve jumping into QE4, not while they still have that $20 billion to play with. They're doing that under the radar. They've got a lot of other things they can manipulate. They're obviously going to keep encouraging the Japanese and the European Union and these other economies to, to keep easing their money because money's fungible and that easy money finds its way back to the United States even if it comes in as yen or as euros or Australian dollars or whatever. With us going into an election year and with the general stability of the U.S. economy, for right now, although I think it would be an easy way out to help stimulate the economy, I don't think they're going to jump into, into QE4. And so for that reason, I think that both this rally we're seeing in gold and in the S&P 500 are both premature, and I think they're both going to fall apart. I think you're going to see double tops on both of them. In fact, on gold over the last couple months, it, it's almost like a triple top. So that's some of my rationale for why I'm staying out of this market currently and also for why I'm not buying gold. I do have about uh, half my portfolio in the U.S. dollar that has taken a hit over the last four weeks. It's down about 1.5%. 
I'm watching that position. Again, as long as gold stays down below that 200-day moving average, if gold, uh, if this double or triple top in gold starts to fall apart, because you know it's been very rare that gold gets above 1150 an ounce. If it can break above that 200-day moving average, I will reassess my position in the U.S. dollar. But for right now, I don't think we're going to see quantitative easing for, and I think that's going to hurt both the S&P 500 and gold at the same time. Now let's look at some other leadership that's currently driving this rally that we've had for the last two weeks. And again, just as we've seen the price of gold go up, I think that's not the kind of leadership we're looking for, nor do I think the so-called sin stocks are strong leadership if you're going into a real confirmed rally. Tobacco, alcohol stocks, they're doing extremely well. And again, these would be stocks that you see performing well during a recession or during a downturn. So to me, that's not the type of leadership that we're going to be looking towards. Constellation Brands, this is a company that manufactures alcohol spirits. They're up probably something in the neighborhood of close to 18, 20% over the last three months. Now, what's important to note about Constellation Brands is that even though the, the price of the stock has appreciated, you know, 18 to 20% over these last three or four months, it isn't that they're busting out in their earnings. Now, they are profitable. They are doing well. But the rise in the price of the stock has, in my opinion, had more to do with valuation expansion, meaning that the price per earnings ratio is somewhere in the uh, 25, maybe 30, 30 times earnings. Uh, let me look it up real quick. I'm showing 27 times earnings for Constellation Brands. This is a company that last quarter only had 8% increase in sales revenue. Again, I think that investors are flocking into these type companies not because they're anticipating growth, but because they know that the alcohol and tobacco related companies, if not uh, do well during recessions, they at least hold up pretty well during downturns. It's a defensive sector. Like healthcare, it's a consumer staple that generally can be relied on to produce consistent earnings even during a downturn. So when I see leadership in the stock market coming from alcohol and tobacco stocks, again, I'm concerned. And I just mentioned medical stocks. Well, I think most of you are aware that medical stocks generally and biotech stocks in particular have been performing lousy. Now, these have been key leaders for the last two years. The bottom has really fallen out of a lot of these high-flying companies. Speaking of medical stocks, let's talk about Johnson & Johnson. J&J &J has a valuation, a price-to-earnings ratio of 16 times earnings. Now, for a big blue-chip stock that pays a 3% dividend, that's not a bad valuation. When I look at these type companies, I'm very tempted to go in and buy them for that dividend because I love dividend-paying stocks. However, even though that 16 times valuation historically seems pretty reasonable, maybe slightly high, but certainly not an extreme valuation... The problem is when you look in at the underlying numbers, you see that J&J, &J, just this most recent quarter, their earnings were down 7%. Their sales were down 7%. Their three-year average on earnings have been about an 8% uh, earnings rate a year, and their sales growth has been about a 4% growth rate per year. The problem with companies like J&J, &J, the way that they've been able to come up with these 8% and near double-digit growth rates in earnings every year when their sales are either in the low single digits or even sometimes you know they have negative revenue, the way they've been able to do this is with stock buybacks. And J&J &J announced today that they will be doing another stock buyback. 
So Johnson & Johnson came out today. They said, hey, we know that our earnings um, are disappointing. We're, we're not meeting the expectations that we said we would. However, we're going to have a, another stock buyback program, and we're going to buy back about $10 billion of our stock. Well, think about that. $10 billion is a substantial amount of money. We just talked about the Federal Reserve and how they have about $20 billion a month to play around with it in, fun, in funny money as the quantitative easing programs uh, start to mature. They can take that money and reinvest it, uh, buy back more debt. Well, that's in a sense exactly what all these large Wall Street companies have been doing. You've heard me talk about it many times. I just want to point it out today because Johnson & Johnson just announced this. $10 billion in share buybacks. The market capitalization for all the Johnson & Johnson stock is around $264 billion. A little more than that, but we'll just round it off and call it $264 billion is what it would cost you to buy all of J&J stock. So a $10 billion stock buyback means that they're purchasing close to 4% of the shares of J&J that are on the market. It's something like, I don't know, 3.8%, but close enough to 4%. And that's just this round of, of buybacks. They've been having stock buybacks for the last six years. So just this round that they've announced is going to take about 4%, close to 4% of their stock off the market. Now, the reason they do that is because that helps elevate the price of their stock. And it makes their earnings look better than they really are. It's a facade. It's phony baloney. Again, that's why I'm very concerned about this recovery that we're, we're going into is because it has to be driven by Federal Reserve money or by more of these buybacks. If money becomes tight or the Federal Reserve does raise interest rates or if just um, bond vigilantes refuse to, uh, to loan their money out at, at such low and depressed interest rates, that will force the yield on interest rates up and that will cause these companies that are borrowing this money to buy back their stocks. It'll cause them to not be able to buy back as much. In fact, we've seen several companies not only putting their buybacks on hold, but we've seen companies in the energy sector and in the commodity sector have to go in and cut their dividends because they can no longer afford to pay them. If that happens on a consistent basis, in my opinion, you'll definitely see this market drop at least another 15% to get to some type of a rational, fair value. Medical and consumer stocks like J&J, &J, which are normally considered safe haven stocks, are not the only problems we're seeing. Let's look at the biotechs. If you look at BIB, that's the ProShares Biotechnology ETF. In the last three months, that index is down about 34-35%. Biotechs have been hit hard, and the good quality leadership have not been spared in that sector. A quality name like Biogen, again, it's down over 30% in the last three months. You've heard me talk about Gilead. They're a leader in uh, hepatitis-type drugs. They've performed extremely well over the last three or four years. But again, they've been hit over the last three months. They're down probably 12-15%. Gilead's overall valuation is just incredibly low. It's down to about 10 times earnings. Now, this is a company that I know a lot of people are, have either jumped into or are thinking about jumping back into because they think that it can't go any lower. When I see a quality company like this trading at such a low valuation, though, I become concerned not only because of the, the political statements that Hillary Clinton and some others have made about the profits being too high on certain drugs and pharmaceuticals and, and something like and Gilead in particular, since they're making treatments for things like hepatitis uh, type drugs, those are primarily paid by Medicare and Medicaid. 
I think that's a real threat. I did an episode, I think it was either earlier this year or late last year, where I talked about the future of healthcare. I talked about these type price controls possibly coming in as a result of the Affordable Care Act. If you're interested in that sector, you should go listen to that episode. But that's only what partly worries me about the horrible uh, price performance of Gilead over these past few weeks. With a valuation this low, it just concerns me that perhaps this particular sector, this particular stock has topped out. You know that they've already reached as many patients that are afflicted with hepatitis as as they're going to reach. And so while three or four years ago, while investors were waiting for these drugs to come onto the market, for them to get FDA approval, the investment community was willing to pay 50 times earnings. But now that the drug has been released and it's successful and it's out there in the marketplace, the valuation has come down to only 10 times earnings. This is maybe an example of where you buy the rumor and sell the news. You know, there may not just be an expanding market for some of these drugs once they're released. I don't know what's in Gilead's pipeline. I'm not a pharmaceutical or a biotech expert. But when I see Wall Street discounting a company like Gilead that had been formerly just a high flyer, it's very concerning to me and it gives me pause and it prevents me from jumping in and just wanting to buy this stock on the dips. And I'll reiterate why you should move cautiously during this correction. I know a lot of you are trying to jump in there and buy stocks, particularly some of these IPOs or some of these really big-name companies that had done well in the past and their prices collapsed, and you're saying to yourself, well, it can't go any lower. Well, you know, Twitter, for example, it can't go any lower. Well, Twitter is down well over 40%. I wouldn't be a buyer of Twitter right now. Yes, someone like Apple or Microsoft could come in and purchase them, maybe Facebook. But still, I've talked about this before. There's a lot of hard work that Twitter has to do to monetize its advertisement base. And just because it's favored by media companies doesn't mean that it can make money. GoPro is another one. People were just enamorated with it earlier in the year. Well, GoPro is down something like, I think, nearly 70% from its highs. You don't want to just buy that because the price has come down. It may never get back to those previous high levels. Remember what happened in the dot-com bubble. To this day, Microsoft has never reached the level that it hit back in 2000. I've mentioned the the collapse in prices on the, the stocks that are focused on 3D printing. 3D systems is another one that's down 70-80% from its high. Just because a stock goes down doesn't mean that it'll come back up. So again, I want to reiterate, I think that the leaders that we're seeing in this current recovery are not the ones that impress me to take us on to new highs. I think we've seen a breakdown in companies like Apple that sell products to China. We've seen similar things with Alcoa. Yum Brands, their Kentucky Fried Chicken, had extremely bad sales this quarter, again, mostly because of their exposure to China. Speaking of restaurants, Domino's, now this is a pizza company that you would think is maybe U.S. focused, and while their U.S. sales have been doing better because they're taking market share from Pizza Hut, Domino's Pizza has actually missed uh, earnings expectations as well as revenue expectations this this current quarter, and it was primarily because of overseas sales, the exposure that they have to the stronger dollar. While I'm thinking of it, speaking of restaurant stocks, Dunkin' Donuts also is a company that's missed its earnings. That was U.S. driven. Dunkin' Donuts stock is down over 25% over the past three months. 
That's one of those stocks that you have to ask yourself, even if things are doing so well in the United States, then how can they be underperforming? That's the prototypical company of the middle class where someone on their way to work, they swing by, they get a donut and a coffee. If their stock is tanking, you have to draw a corollary comparison there and say, will there be any spillover effect to a company like Starbucks? Now, again, Starbucks is one of those leadership companies right now. It is at an all-time high, but it's trading at a valuation of 40 times earnings. 40 times. Its sales growth last quarter was very impressive. It grew at about 18%. But again, the valuation on Starbucks is 40 times earnings. That's extremely high in my opinion. And while Starbucks is, yes, it's definitely a much more better rated company, better rated stock than Dunkin' Donuts, you've just seen Dunkin' Donuts drop about 25%. And these companies are in a very similar category. I find it hard to believe that Starbucks is worth 40 times earnings in this current environment. Now, again, with this podcast, I never give you specific advice or recommendations. I'm simply providing you with my opinion and telling you what's on my mind. And right now, I would not be buying Starbucks at 40 times earnings. Speaking of restaurants, another Dow Jones component that's done very well lately is McDonald's. Now, McDonald's has had a lot of problems. Their stock has suffered. Really, the only thing that I can think that they've done to improve things is, one, they fired their CEO. That was a good move. But the other big innovation that's gotten all the media uh, attention and so many people are talking about is that they started selling breakfast all day long. Now, while that will probably help sales, that's probably a good thing, that is hardly what I would consider innovation. McDonald's is another troubled company. It's an old stodgy company. It's made a lot of mistakes. It's a big battleship that's going to take a long time to turn around. And it's currently trading in over 20 times earnings, something in the range of probably 23 times earnings. That, again, seems very rich for a company that is just a mediocre performer. Again, I'm not offering advice here. I'm just pointing out some observations. Pull up a chart of McDonald's. Look at it over the last 30 years. You'll see that its upper resistance level is always right around $100. It hit that level back around 1985 and then fell apart. It hit that level about 10 years after that in like 1995. And then it stayed there a while, but it fell apart. It took another 20 years to get back up there. And then around 2004, 2003, it it got back up in that $100 range and then it fell apart. And well, guess what? It's back up in that $100 range. It's trading now for about $103. I don't see that they've made any positive improvements to their brand, to their restaurants. With the global slowdown, I don't see how they could be growing their franchise overseas. They're certainly having a problem keeping up here in the United States. So how that stock could be trading at a 23 times valuation is beyond any value that I would put on that stock. I bring this up again because these are some of the leaders that are driving the Dow Jones Industrial Average higher, and I just don't see how this is sustainable. This is, one of the again, one of the reasons why I think we might be seeing a double top in this market. Coca-Cola is another company that's struggling to to find its footing and and struggling with a a change in in consumer tastes and consumer habits. That stock, again, trading for about 20 times earnings. 
to put that McDonald's valuation in comparison. Right now, you know, Disney stock, all the media stocks have, have taken a tumble and they've recovered a little bit, but the valuation on Disney is about equal to the valuation on McDonald's. Now, would you rather own a company like Coca-Cola and McDonald's with all their problems, or would you rather own Disney? I think many of these stocks have too high valuations, and although we've seen a correction here since August, in my opinion, to be fair valued, we haven't seen prices come down enough. As I've said before, keep an eye on commodity prices, keep an eye on the price of oil, we need to see at least some stabilization or recovery there before I think it can carry over to the global economy. And unless the Federal Reserve comes in with quantitative easing four, I think we're going to see the S&P 500 keep trading in that range with a baseline of 1950. That's the way I see the world right now. My opinion could change. But for right now, that's what the market's telling me. I, I sense that from not only a fundamental analysis, but also a technical analysis. I would encourage you to invest with caution. Now, we're going to come back in the next episode. We're going to talk about the banking sector. This week, you'll be getting a lot of earnings report from banking stocks. I want to talk about that. Again, I think that will provide us clues as to where this market is headed. And then also, don't forget, this Friday is options expiration. I would expect to see some high volatility and heavy trade. So keep your seatbelt fastened. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.